This morning we continue our studies in the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. I wonder how many of you remember the epic battle scene in the movie Braveheart. As we see Mel Gibson as William Wallace, who tries to unite all the 13th century Scots in battle against British rule. And we have that major scene where we have William Wallace and the Scots lined up on one side of this field and then the British troops, the English troops, lined up on the other side of the field and the battle is about to commence. Well, whether we recognize it or not, this morning's section we're going to be looking at in God's Word is very much like this, just so much more significant. Here too we have Jesus set for battle against the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. You see, Jesus up to now had demonstrated that he was the teacher, that he was a great healer, that he could cast out demons, he could even cure a man from leprosy, but now, for the first time, he was going to declare that he can also forgive sins. And so, let's go and read this account in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. One day, he, that is Jesus, was teaching. And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a, on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. And not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the, the, middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what, had been, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying, we have seen remarkable things today. So how does Jesus this morning demonstrate his divine right to forgive sins? How does he show these Pharisees and the crowd that he is the Son of Man, the Messiah, the one who can not just heal bodies, but also heal the soul? Our text says in verse 17 that it was just on a day. 
Jesus was teaching. Now, Luke is not too worried about the chronological account of the scenes that he brings to our attention. He brings up a specific scene to build his case to show that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember who he's writing to? Theophilus. We've got to always remember that. What is Luke's intent? He wants to prove to Theophilus that this Jesus Christ, that these words that he's speaking, that these actions that he is describing are pointing to Jesus as the Son of God, the only one who can forgive sins, the only one who can save mankind. And so Luke brings us this instance of Jesus and the Pharisees. Look in your text to verse 17. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. And I'm going to come back to that. And they'd come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. They were there in mass. And they were there at this home where Jesus was staying. Now, it's amazing how people get off track, you know. Books have been written about this home that Jesus was in. Can you believe it? Here we've got a battle scene set, and they write books about the home where Jesus is in. Talk about being sidetracked. So whether it was Simon Peter's home, whether it was a home provided for Jesus, I just want to get this out the way. It doesn't matter. Mark says that Jesus was in Capernaum. So he's come back to where he started his ministry. And here we have these crowds in front of Jesus and they'd heard, and whether it was from the leper who had been healed completely, probably a lot of people had heard his testimony, and whether it was from the demons that had been cast out, whether it was from all the work that Jesus had been doing in the outlying regions, there were crowds crowded around this house, whoever's house it was. And they were not just outside the house, they were inside the house. Get the picture, crowds, no space for anyone. And among the crowds, there would have been those who were just curious to see, what is Jesus going to do next? But there would also have been those who were genuine seekers of the truth. And it says in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus was preaching the word to them. You know, Jesus didn't go anywhere and just perform miracles. He always proclaimed the truth wherever he went. And so here he is preaching the truth to the people trying to tell them about the kingdom of God, their condition before a God, a God who needs to be glorified through their lives. And now the camera, as it were, focuses in on these Pharisees, these religious leaders with their garb on and with the people who would announce their coming. And there they are sitting in all their finery and their glory. And they're probably pushing people aside so that they can get the front seats. Can you see them in your mind's eye? The Pharisees and the scribes. Just a little bit on the Pharisees. The Hebrew word Pharisee spoke about to divide or to separate. And they actually started off in, with quite good intentions. The Pharisees started off as a movement, most probably from the words of Ezra the prophet in Ezra chapter 9 to 10, where they were told to separate themselves, to be separatists for the sake of God to separate themselves from evil around them, from the evil society. And so they started off with good intentions. But as it is with mankind, we always take these good intentions and make them wrong. 
They were very concerned about ceremonial impurity and keeping themselves pure from the world, from these heathens which surrounded them, from the publicans and the sinners. And they spoke with great disdain about the Jewish multitudes who were unclean, even though they were Jews themselves. They had this saying among the Pharisees. They spoke about the Jews who were unclean as the people who do not know the law, and they were cursed. And so they looked down on them. So do you see these Pharisees sitting there with pomp and ceremony? And Jesus is teaching here. And they've heard about his teachings. They, some of them might even have been there when he cast out the demons. And all of them are wondering, who is this man? They don't want to believe he is the Messiah. And then there were the scribes. And they were like lawyers today. Religious lawyers. They were the law teachers. They studied Mosaic law they taught Mosaic law and they interpreted Mosaic law on behalf of the people. And of course, they put their own spin on it for their own behalf, usually monetary. And so they were there too. There was no heart in their gospel. It was all about rules, rules and rules. And because the Bible didn't have enough rules, they added their own rules for people. These were the scribes. So we need to separate the two of them. And all these people are gathered together. And Scripture specifically says these religious leaders were there from every village, from Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. In other words, they'd heard, this man is going to teach again. Now, brothers, come together. Let us judge this man. Let us hear what he says. Let us decide. And if he is a blasphemer, we'll stone him. Because that's what the law said they were supposed to do. And so here they were gathered together for the showdown with Jesus Christ. Now, read on in that verse, because that verse tells us about God's grace. Look at the second half of verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. So here these Pharisees are, they set up for battle, and on the other side we have Jesus Christ, and with him is the power to heal, specifically stated that day. It is here. And can you see the showdown which is about to happen? It's a spiritual battle. So when you've read the story before, it's not just about Jesus, Pharisees, crowds, men with stretches. It's about a battle. So here are the two sides set up. And now I can just see it in movie format. Into the middle of all this anticipation, here comes these four friends. Can you see it? Right into the middle of the clearing. And they're in the middle of this battle. They don't even know it. Four friends with a friend of theirs on the stretcher, the paralytic man. No way through for them for this, from this crowd. They're trying to carry this man. The people are drumming around. They're craning in the doorways trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. The Pharisees have pushed the people out the way. There's no way these men are going to get in front of Jesus. And so what do they do? They look around like any good enterprising friends. And they think, well... If we go up onto the roof over here, or we go up onto the house next door, we could go from roof to roof, and then we can go through. Good friends, weren't they? Damaging friends, but good friends. And so here these friends are, and they go up the staircase, and if they went from house to house, because the, the houses those days had flat roofs, they went onto the flat roof above where Jesus was, and... They started taking the tiles off. Now, you need to know a little bit about architecture of those days. 
Jews used to, the Jewish architecture of the day was it was a, a house that was built of sticks and some stones and framework and then there was mud around the outside and the roof and the whole roof was actually a layer of mud and sticks and brush that used to be coated. And then on top of that, they used to put these tiles as well to keep the worst of the, of the water off. And that was actually a bit of a Gentile influence on the, archi- on the architecture. And so these men come there, they get on top of this flat roof, and they start taking off these big tiles, placing them carefully on a side, and then they've got this mud in front of them, and they have to start digging through this roof. I wonder what the owner of the house thought. I would have been worried. But do you see the, do you see the perseverance here? This Jesus Christ, we've heard he can heal. He is the only way, he's the only chance for our friend, and we will do whatever to get him to Jesus. We'll even go through the roof of a house, and we'll fix the costs later. We'll get to Jesus. Do you see their perseverance? What good friends. And so they get the man in front of Jesus, and I wonder what the crowd is doing when they were busy working, they heard this noise, and then suddenly mud falling down, and here comes this man on a stretcher lower down in front of Jesus. They must have made way. What a scene. Do you see it in your mind's eye? So right in the middle of this battle, here are these friends, and this man lying on his stretcher. And it's very interesting in verse 20 to see Jesus' reaction. You see, Jesus was touched by these men. Jesus was touched by their faith in him. And remember, Jesus can see hearts. Jesus saw the actions, yes, they were, they were going to all this effort to get their friend to him. And yet Jesus saw the faith, because interestingly, he says there, friends, your faith has made this well. Friends, your sins are forgiven, he says. And then he speaks to the man. But he saw their faith, you see. Verse 20. I think there's a lesson in there for us as we support each other in life. Have you got friends who get around you and no matter what, they'll be there for you in your spiritual walk? Are you a friend like that to someone? Jesus had compassion on them all. And he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now, Did he heal the man immediately? No, he said, your sins are forgiven you. You see, there was an object lesson here as part of this battle that Jesus wanted to teach not just the people, but these religious leaders. That Jesus doesn't physically heal first, but that he forgives sins first. The greater need of mankind is forgiveness of sin, not their bodies to be restored to full health. And so Jesus forgives his sin first. And what he was also doing was Jesus was claiming the divine prerogative to forgive sins. I can forgive sins. Your sins are forgiven, says Jesus. And these Pharisees must have sat up. Because what was Jesus doing? He was throwing down the gauntlet to them. I can forgive sins. What are you going to do about it? I can just imagine these sanctimonious Pharisees sitting up. What? What has he just said? Where are the rocks? What has he just said? They were reasoning in their hearts, you see. What has this man said? How dare he? This is blasphemy. And scripture states, they thought it was 
Because they said only God can forgive sins. And here a man has said, a mere man has said, I can forgive sins. That is blasphemy. They weren't willing to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. The only one who could forgive sins. You see, in a way, they were right about their facts. Yes, only God can forgive sins. But they were wrong about their conclusion about Jesus Christ. They denied him to be the Messiah. And so it can't be him. And that's why he's committing blasphemy. And that's why he needs to be stoned. You see, they have the wrong fork in their thinking. I'm going to go through their thinking with you. They had two bits of thinking they had to do here. Firstly, either Jesus is who he claims to be, God, and he can therefore forgive sins, or the other alternative is he is not the Messiah, and therefore he's an imposter and worthy of death by stoning. And what do they choose? The other one, the second one. But you see, the text says, verse 22 to 26, Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew their hidden thoughts. Why? Who is Jesus? He's God. And what do we know about God? And here's your theological word for today. He is omniscient. What does that mean? He knows everything. God is omniscient. Jesus Christ was omniscient. He could see straight through all those robes and garb. He could see straight into their hearts. He knew what they were reasoning in their hearts. And it was rebellion against God. And Jesus says, why do you say in your hearts, why do you reason in your hearts that I cannot forgive sins? You see, what Jesus was doing here was he was posing a question to these Pharisees and religious leaders, which was more than a question. It was actually a dilemma for them. And what he was saying to them is this. It is, easy, is it easier to declare that sins are forgiven or to tell the paralytic to get up and take up his mat and walk? What is easier? You see, from the human perspective, it's real easy to say, man, your sins are forgiven. Why? Why is it easier to say that? Because you can't see it. How do you prove it? And so as a man, he can say what he likes in a way. But to say to the man, get up and walk, and if he doesn't, then what? You see the dilemma Jesus faces them with? He knew their hearts. And so he says, you say that it is harder to get the man to get up and walk, but I say it is harder to forgive his sins. Humanly. You see, logic was telling them that it's easier just to say, because what had they been doing? As Pharisees, they'd been claiming all kinds of things. As scribes, they could say whatever they liked. And they could prove it. And who could stand against them? It was just words, you see. And so they reason in the same way about this man. But what they didn't reckon on, that this man, Jesus Christ, would link these two issues together and that right there in front of them, he would show them that he was the son of man. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just another teacher who was espousing all kinds of teachings and that they had to prove whether he was right or wrong. This was the son of man who was now confronting them. And he was saying to them, choose this day who I am. Am I the Messiah or am I just a man? Am I someone who just says words 
Or am I someone who can bring my words into action? Choose this day. And so Jesus brings these two questions together and he acts to show them that he is God Almighty. What does he do? He's saying, I will do what's hard in your eyes first. I've forgiven this man, but I will show you that I'm the Son of Man. And so he says to the man, man, get up, take up your mat and walk. And I'm sure they were all watching now with big eyes. Because if this man does nothing, Jesus is going to get stoned. You see, we are at the crisis of this battle. The Pharisees thought that this might just be the nationalistic Messiah of Jewish dreams. But they were watching. But they weren't reckoning on this being the almighty saviour of the world. The unique one who could see and cure hearts at all. And so all eyes are on this man. If there were cameras and spotlights there, those beams would have been on that paralytic man lying there in his stretcher and his four friends standing around. Can you see the scene? I love it. And then this man starts stirring. And I, 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 can't, I don't want to over-dramatize now, but I'm no actor, but imagine that paralytic man. I don't know what he felt. Was it a warmth? Did he feel strength going to his limbs? What did he feel? Whatever he felt, he started moving. And the next thing, he was standing on his feet. And I can just imagine his eyes, big like this, testing his legs, testing his arms. And then you must have seen his face, the joy coming up on his face. And I wonder if he actually did a jump. And I won't because there's, there's a hole underneath here. All right? But I wonder if he gave a big jump into the air. Yes! I can stand. I'm no longer paralyzed. Do you see the man on the one side? Now turn the camera to the Pharisees. Imagine their faces. Imagine the people. We have seen amazing things today. And here's the paralyzed man. And scripture records that the paralyzed man took up his mat. And I don't know if he went, no, 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 no. No, he wouldn't have done it. But he, he walks out in full view of all these people, of all the Pharisees, of all the religious leaders. He takes up his mat. He says, come friends, let's go. And he walks out of that house. And the crowds must have parted for this man. And the Bible actually says he went away rejoicing. He can't have done anything else, you see. I would have. He went home rejoicing. You see, not just his body had been healed that day, his soul had been healed too. And he knew it. He was praising the Lord. And the Bible says specifically, he was praising Jehovah, God Almighty. That's the word used in the original. He breaks out into audible worship of God. It wasn't, it was, praise the Lord, he's healed me. And he walks out. The Pharisees were really quiet at this stage. But here was this jubilant man walking out of that place. Now, I'm not in scripture now. Imagine when he gets home. Imagine. Dear, I'm home. She says, well, just drag yourself in. No, no, she didn't. (laughs) But just imagine him coming home that day. Life was no longer a drag for him. 
He was walking. He was jumping. He was leaping. Imagine that home that night as they celebrated. And as Jews only can celebrate. There would have been timbrels. There would have been dancing. There would have been people singing, praising God Almighty for what had been happening in that man's life. And the people, look at the people. The last few verses there, verse 26. They were all struck with astonishment. Now watch, there are three reactions here. They were all struck with astonishment, firstly, and they began glorifying God, secondly, and thirdly, they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Just look at this human reaction, and it's no different today than it was those days. You see, when we're confronted by Almighty God doing amazing things, what is the human being's gut first reaction? Amazement and praise God. And then the implications dawn on them. If he is really the Son of God, then what about us? What about our guilt before him? And do you see why that amazement and jubilation turns to fear? Maybe this is the Son of God. Maybe this is the Messiah. And that's the reaction of those people. We come to the so what section. So what? It's a fantastic story and you've probably heard it in Sunday school. And you probably know it off by heart. You know, different versions of this. You've seen it in plays. You might even have seen it on DVD. But so what? Why did God bring this portion and give it to us in Scripture? What are we to learn from it? The major lesson we are to learn from it this morning is that Jesus forgives sin. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus forgives sin. You see, there's no complicated theology here this morning. I'm sorry. Jesus forgives sin. There are five implications of that statement. Firstly, what is our original condition before God as mankind? We are all paralyzed by sin, aren't we? Romans says we were all born into sin. We were dead in our, trans- in our transgressors and sins, weren't we? But God, who is rich in mercy, has a way out. But we are dead in our original condition. We've all got paralysis of the soul. But there is good news this morning, and Jesus proclaimed it on that day. Jesus can save you from sin. He can take away that sin from you. He can change you from being a sinner into someone who is saved and someone who turns from everlasting death to everlasting life. Is that good news? Good. There's one amen. That is good news. And that is the good news of the gospel that we as a church have to take out into this community of Wanganui East. That is the same message that the church worldwide, whether they're in Waka, Ethiopia, or here in this local community, or in another place in the city, we all have the same message. Jesus saves from sin. There is hope. We must turn to him. That is the message. Do you believe this with your heart? That's the follow-up. Yes, we might say, like the Pharisees and like the scribes, yes, I believe these things. Yes, I've read the Word or whatever it was they were reading, the five books of Moses. I believe these things. 
but it was never a heart belief. And you might have been part of this church from when this church was, no, there's no one here from when we started, but 80 plus years, you might have been part of this church for how long, but if you still do not in your heart believe that Jesus saves from sin, then my friend, you are still a sinner before God as you sit here, and you need to turn to Jesus who can save you. But have you turned? Do you believe with your heart that Jesus saves from sin? And if there's anyone here who's an unbeliever, if you've walked in here this morning and you still do not know this Jesus Christ, the Son of Man that we've spoken about, then you need to fall on your knees this morning and come to Him and be saved. Jesus saves from sin. Do you believe this? Secondly, have you come to him? Why do I say that again? Because the same Jesus who is omniscient, who knows your heart, can see right into you this morning. And you might have been pretending for 85 years to be a believer, but he can see your heart. And you and I who say that we are believers, have you come to him daily Do you come to him daily and bring these sins before him so that this Jesus who saves from sin can take away that sin from your heart too and make you clean before him? Do you come before him daily? He can see your heart. He is omniscient. Do we believe that? Why do we then try and hide sin from the Lord? Come to him daily. I plead with you this morning, come before him and be cleansed third point of application this morning is this. Are you a faithful friend? It's to do with discipleship. Are you a faithful friend to someone in their spiritual walk? That is why we've got church. A church is to be a group of believers who get together around each other and who support each other in the walk. Otherwise, we'd all go on our journey to heaven as little individuals And then God will pop us off, take us to heaven, and there we'll be. But he formed the church in his wisdom. What is that? Believers who support each other. And yes, we go through hard times. And yes, we go through crisis times. Are you a believer who stands next to another believer and helps them on their way? Or are you a lone ranger believer going through life like this? No one around you. There's the challenge of God's word to you as well. Are you a faithful friend? This man had four faithful friends. He was blessed. Look what they did for him. We need to be a blessing to others as well. Be that friend to someone today. Fourthly, Jesus saw these men. He saw the passion they had. He saw the faith they had. And he had compassion on them. Have you got compassion in your eyes for the lost around you? Or do you just go across your daily life? Do you just go through the busyness of life and sinners come past you and they come by you and it doesn't bother you in the least? You see, we have the hope of the gospel in us. If you're a believer here today, you have been saved. You know the process, but Jesus has given you a command as well. He said, now go and make disciples of all nations. Are you being faithful Have you got compassionate eyes for the lost? Do you see, see them coming by you and they don't know the gospel? What are you doing about that? Or do they just pass you by? 
We need to pray because only God can give us this compassion. Lord, give me a compassionate heart for the lost. When I see people who are lost, may I do something about it. May I open my mouth. May I live my life in such a way that they are challenged in their walk too. When people ask me questions, may I not keep the message quiet. May I shout it out. Jesus saves. Jesus forgives sins. Come to Jesus. Don't die in your sin. That is to be on our lips in whatever we do in life. Whether that's at work, whether that's serving in the community, whatever you do at school, Jesus saves. Are you speaking it out? That's what we're called to do. And then lastly, Jesus healed so that they might know who he is. That phrase really hit me. Jesus wanted to show the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the whole crowd of people there who he really is. The Son of Man who can forgive sin. And that's why he healed that day. Why does Jesus heal you and I spiritually? For the very same purpose. So that others may know that he can heal. Are you a faithful witness to Jesus Christ as you sit here today? And remember, Jesus Christ can see straight into your heart now, whatever answer you had there. Are you a faithful witness to him? When last have you opened your mouth and spoken to someone about the gospel? God can see your heart. When last have you gone out of your way with a tract? When last have you gone out of the way with a flip chart? To go and challenge people as to their walk before the Lord. When was the last time you spoke to a family member who is unsaved about their state before the Lord? Are you scared of men and women? Jesus can see your heart. Are you a faithful witness? Am I a faithful witness to the gospel here in this church? You see, there's a paralyzed world out there. And when sinners come past you, they are Dead in their sin. They are paralyzed in sin. What are we doing? Are we picking up the stretcher and taking them to the Lord? Or do we just leave them there lying on the ground? Facing the future that we know they're going to face. Are you a faithful friend to the lost this morning as you sit here? I want to end this morning by telling you about a special person. On a Friday, once a month, I work at one of the retirement homes around the city. And what a ministry it is. These are people who are at the end of their lives. They're starting to prepare for dying. And sometimes when I come there once a month on a Friday, someone is missing. And that means they've passed on. I met up with this one lady, and I'm going to call her Virginia just for the sake of anonymity. I met up with Virginia. She's over 90 years old. She is scrunched up in her bed. She can't move except her hand. She can move her hand and her lips. She can hardly speak anymore. When she speaks, you've got to really put your ear next to her lips, and then she'll, and you can hardly make out what she's saying. And I've noticed, Virginia, when I've brought the gospel message to those old people there in the retirement home, I've noticed her, she doesn't want to be there. You can just see she doesn't want to be there. And at times she gets so frustrated, she tries to bring movement in her and then the nurses take her out. She doesn't want to be there. You can see it. 
And then Friday, this week, I get a message from the nurse. She always writes on this beautiful serviette. Right? You need to go and pray with this person at that room number. And there she said, Virginia would like you to come and pray with her. And I thought, what? Okay, I'll go. You know, I got to Virginia's bedside and I could see and hear that she's not long to go. And I bent down to, with my ear to her mouth and I said, Virginia, what do you want me to pray for? And I couldn't hear what she was saying. I couldn't hear what she was saying. And what do we do when we know that someone doesn't, need the, that, that someone doesn't know the gospel? What is the only thing open to us? We have to tell them the gospel. And so I asked her another question about her family because I wanted to see if she could hear me properly. And she gave me one word which showed me that she could hear what I was saying about her family. And so I thought, okay, now I'm going to give you the gospel. Because I don't know why you've asked me to come and pray. And I very shortly just told her what Jesus Christ can do for her. Now I wish I could tell you that Virginia is saved. I don't know. And I woke up on Saturday morning at 5 o'clock in the morning and this was going through my mind. Is Virginia saved? Do I need to go back again? Do I need to give her the gospel again? I don't know. I've given her the gospel message now. But is she saved? I'm pleading with you this morning. You can read. You can speak. You can interact. You can speak. You can hear the gospel. Don't leave it till number 99 when a pastor has to come and put his ear to your, to your mouth to try and hear if you know the gospel. I plead with you. Come to Jesus Christ if you still do not know him. And come to him while there is yet time. And be saved. He can take away sin. He can take away your sin. He can take away the sin of the world if only we would come. Come to Jesus Christ. Please pray for Virginia. I'm not sure if she's still alive, but please pray for her anyway. God knows who she is and he knows whether he's saved her. I want to read to you just the words of a hymn. John Newton wrote this. Listen to these words. Approach, my soul, the mercy seat, where Jesus answers prayer. There humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. Thy promise is my only plea. With this I venture nigh. Thou callest burdened souls to thee, and such, O Lord, am I. Are you a burdened soul this morning? Bowed down beneath a load of sin, by Satan sorely pressed, by war without and fears within, I come to thee for rest. Be thou my shield and hiding place, that sheltered near thy side, I may my fierce accuser face, and tell him thou hast died. O wondrous love, to bleed and die, to bear the cross and shame, that guilty sinners such as I might plead thy gracious name. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved, the Son of Man. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this cry from your word this morning. And Lord, in your timing, 
I don't know why this has to be the passage we look at today. And I know there will be some here this morning who still do not know you. But Lord, I pray that with your power that is here today, you will also heal them. And may we have a lost sinner coming to you this morning for healing. Lord, those of us who are believers, I pray that you would keep us faithful to the task you've given to us. May we be faithful friends to our fellow believers around us. May we be faithful to the task you've given us of taking out your gospel and the saving message of the gospel. And Lord, above all, may we be faithful and obedient to you, our God, our mighty Redeemer, the omniscient and all-knowing one. Lord, thank you for saving us from sin. Thank you for sending this Jesus Christ to this earth to bring salvation to men and women. Lord, thank you that we can be part of this process. But keep us faithful to you until you come again, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.